Hey, and welcome to the Thanksgiving week edition of the Scotts Hill podcast. This week, we are taking a break from the Revelation series to hear a message from our newest pastor, Garrett Burns, assistant pastor of discipleship. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Scotts Hill. Thank you to everybody who is here this morning. Thank you to everyone who is joining us online. We understand that there are a lot of people out of town this weekend. Uh, it's a holiday weekend, and so uh, we look forward to having you back next week. And maybe if you've never joined uh, with us here in person, we encourage you, we invite you here to be a part of, of what we do here as we jump back in to our Revelation series next week. Uh, but we are coming off of a holiday weekend, and uh, everybody, I'm hoping it's not just me, uh, our belts are just one notch larger. Uh, I was going to wear some, uh, some stretchy pants. I was going to wear my, uh, uh, my sweatpants, but I was told that that's a fireable offense, and so I put on something... <laughs> Something a little, a little bit nicer for our time this morning. But uh, let me tell you, I took full advantage of Thanksgiving this year. I took full advantage of it. I had two Thanksgivings. On Thursday, I spent time with my in-laws and uh, I had everything that my belly could hold. And then I drove up Thursday night and Friday, I spent time uh, with my mom and my sister in Goldsboro and some extended family there. And I say that I took full advantage of Thanksgiving, but what I think really happened is that Thanksgiving took full advantage of me, uh, or, or better yet, more accurately, my stomach and its appetites took full advantage of me. You guys understand what Thanksgiving is. We have the table full of foods and you have to fill your plate. And so I have my plate full of turkey. I have my plate full of green bean casserole, mac and cheese, deviled eggs, rolls, mashed potatoes, and nothing, not this, not ever. Uh, I think <laughs> nobody really eats that. I think... People just like to be original, so they, they, they say they like it, but nobody really eats that. But even though I, I eat all of this, and I had one helping and two helpings and three helpings, uh, even though I ate all of this, that's really just the warm-up. That's the precursor. That just gets the, the muscles warm uh, for the real feast, which comes later, which is the dessert the pies, the cakes. I had even more dessert than is up here showing. I had all kinds of things. My wife filled my plate with one of everything. And so uh, I, I gorged. I, I took everything that I wanted. If, if my stomach wanted it, I ate it. If my appetite desired it, I put it on my plate once, twice, maybe even three times. And what I realized uh, sitting, laying really on the couch Friday night watching Elf because it's Christmas now. Um, <clears throat> what I realized was uh, that this was a mistake. It was a mistake. I, I need to not let my appetites drive me. And this is really what uh, Paul mentions as well in our scripture passage for this morning uh, in verse 18, the end of 18 and into 19. He says, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. And their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. And when I follow the direction of my appetite or listen to my stomach in relation to food, uh, it was great in the moment. It was great uh, while I was tasting all the sugars, uh, but it was a disaster for the rest of the evening because I was immobile and uh, feeling, feeling not too great in the belly. Uh, and 
And when we follow the direction of our appetites, when we follow the direction of our stomach in our lives, not just with food, uh, but with our fleshly passions and desires, it may turn out or feel great for a moment, but it'll be a disaster for a lifetime and even worse for eternity. Our scripture passage that we're going to be in this morning uh, is Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through the end of the paragraph, which is chapter 4, verse 1. And, and in these verses, Paul is describing two kinds of people. He calls one the enemies of the cross of Christ and other ones those who stand firm in the Lord. Enemies of the cross and those who stand firm. And so when you by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, what you will see by the end of our time this morning uh, is that it is, it is vital that we submit to the Savior and not your stomach. It is vital that you submit to the Savior and not your stomach. Before we get into the text and dig in, uh, will you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it over the years. We thank you that you are a God who doesn't create us and then leave us wondering or in the dark, but you have given us direction. You've given us your word. You're a God that speaks to us. Uh, and so we ask that, that you give us uh, ears to hear your word, uh, minds uh, that are open and receptive uh, to the teachings of your word and hearts that are ready to be shaped and transformed. Uh, and we ask that you get the glory this morning. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as we, as we read this text, it's important for us uh, to note who Paul is talking to, and he is talking to the church. He's not talking to people outside of the church. There are places in Philippians where he talks to people outside of the church. But for our text this morning, he is speaking to those who call themselves believers, to those who profess to be believers in Jesus. He isn't addressing the atheists. He isn't addressing the nuns. He's not addressing worshipers of other religions or, or pagan philosophers. He isn't addressing politicians or, or anybody that you may feel is evil. He's addressing you this morning. So as we read, if you have your, your paper Bibles, go ahead and get them out. I love those. I'll be reading out of that. But it is also, it is also on the screen as you follow along. So Paul, chapter 3 in Philippians, verse 17. He says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. For I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and their minds are focused on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Remember, he is addressing the church. He's calling you to look at what you profess and how you live and see if they match up. See if you are an imitation 
believer or the real deal? Two weeks ago, we heard a message from Jeff uh, where he talked about different imitations. He had imitation crab, uh, Abiba's shoes instead of Adidas shoes, sniper candy bars instead of Snickers, Dave soap instead of Dove soap. And this is what we know of frauds. They are designed to be deceptive and they take away from the real deal. And this, as we walk through our scripture this morning, we see this description of two kinds of people. The imitations and the real deals. The enemies of the cross and those who stand firm. The frauds and the faithful. Again, the bottom line for our text this morning is that you must submit to the Savior, not your stomach. And why is this so important? Why is it so important that we submit to the Savior, not your stomach? Well, the answer is in the text. It's because those who submit to the stomach are frauds. Those who submit to the stomach are imitations. And for our help, Paul gives us four uh, descriptors of these enemies of the cross. And these come in verses 18 and 19. He says, again, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. And we're not going to start with the first one because I think we need to start uh, where our lives begin, and that is with what we worship. Our first descriptor this morning is that their God is their stomach. The God is their stomach. Those who submit to the stomach are frauds and enemies of the cross. It is the stomach that is their God. They may claim to follow the true God, but in reality they follow their stomach, the place where our appetites are, the place where our hunger comes from. Some translations that you're reading may say belly because it's deep, it's deep down here in our gut where our passions and desires start to rumble and, and we get hangry. It's a self-seeking, self-pleasing, self-serving appetite that we hunger for. And this is what arises out of the stomach. And I think it's helpful to see here that Paul isn't talking about a particularly uh, egregious offense. He isn't talking about one or two particularly offensive sins in here. He leaves it ambiguous for a reason. He takes it just as far as, as he wants to take it because if it was a particular offense, if it was a particular abuser that he's talking to within the church, then we could just look at the text and say, well, that's not me. That doesn't fit me. I don't do that thing. I'm not that bad, but he doesn't. He just says their God is their stomach. Whatever it is, they have an appetite for. Whatever fleshly desire and passion it is that they have, they have made that their God. They follow that. So we should ask ourselves questions questions this morning, like who is my God and do I live like it? Is my stomach my God? And we might say, well, no, <laughs> I'm here this morning. Of course, my stomach is not my God. I come to church or no, I, I serve in the nursery or no, I give, I give my money. I give, I give a tie to the church. Uh, clearly, this, my stomach is not my God. But he's talking to the church. He's saying people who do that, who may do Christian things, they are still enemies of the cross of Christ. 
Their God is their stomach. You have to ask and press further into your life. What do you do with the rest of your time throughout the week? Are you living on mission? What do you do when other people need help? Friends, family, maybe people you don't know. Do you love others through service? What do you do with the rest of the money that God has given you to steward? Do you give with generosity in all areas of your life? What drives you? What motivates your life? Is it your appetites, your passions, your desires? Do you submit to your stomach? Because if you do, when you submit to the stomach, it leads us to be frauds. That's the first description, what they worship, their God. Their God is their stomach. But the second one is their glory is in their shame. Their glory is in their shame. What does that mean? You see, these enemies of the cross, they weren't just following their appetites or desires. They weren't just committing wrongs. They weren't just committing sins. No, they were proud of it. They were happy about it. They were glorying in it. They were open about their deeds and they justified sinful activities as good things. They exalted themselves and made themselves glorious because of what they were doing. We see this left and right in the world, right? We see parades for things God's word calls wrong. We see people be exalted. People have endorsements and platforms of influence as a result of things that the scripture calls sinful. And it's so easy for us to to point at those things and and cry out at those things in self-righteousness. But this message is for the church. We have to ask ourselves, where is that true in my life? Where am I glorying in sin? Where am I justifying evil behavior in my life? The prophet Isaiah talked about this thousands of years ago to God's people in Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. He says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who consider themselves wise and judge themselves to be clever. See, those who continually consider themselves clever and justify their sins are counted as enemies of the cross. Submission to the stomach and worship of self will distort your understanding of right and wrong, good and evil. And it leads to the fraudulent life for the professing believer. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And then third, they have their minds set on earthly things. They are focused on the earth. At the beginning of the new year, I read uh, a book by Tony Ranke. It's called Competing Spectacles. And in the book, his, his main point is that the thing that we should be most focused on in the world, the thing that all of humanity should hold as the greatest spectacle, the greatest sight to see is the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross that he is the greatest spectacle and that is the greatest sight ever to behold, to treasure God. And after he goes on for pages and pages looking at other spectacles that captivate us, he talks about TV, he talks about movies, he talks about video games, he talks about social media. After all of this, he says this phrase, he says, the Christian's great problem is not Hollywood or Bollywood. 
It's the unchecked earthly desires that operate within our fallen selves. The earthly spectacles of lust and material greed feed the earthly desires or appetites inside of us. The point is that the one who submits to the stomach is focused on the wrong things. Their attention is taken up by the lesser and not the greater. Their mind is consumed with the earthly desires within them and it only fuels the sinful appetite of the stomach. And then finally we come to the final descriptor. Where are they going? Their end is destruction. And this is why Paul says that he writes this letter with tears in his eyes. Because he knows that those within the church who may profess Christ, who do some of the Christian things, who may have grown up their entire lives believing that they're safe, are actually headed toward destruction. Last week, Pastor Phil talked about this this day in the future when the Lord will come riding in on a white horse and there will be destruction and he will destroy all those who oppose him. And it will be a great day. It'll be a glorious day. We will praise God in that moment for what he has done. But that day is then. Now, we do not get excited about that. We do not praise. We do not glory in the fact that people, maybe in this room to our left and to our right, are headed toward destruction. This brings tears to our eyes. It ought to. It should bring tears to our eyes as we understand this reality. This is something that we should weep over. It's my heart. It's Pastor Phil's heart. It's all the the pastors and the elders' hearts here at Scotts Hill that anybody in this congregation would not meet this end. If you have been living as an enemy of the cross, if you've been submitting your life to your stomach and walking through life with your focus on the wrong sights, your earthly desires, the pursuit of your own personal appetites, your end is destruction. And this is why it's vital that you submit to the Savior and not your stomach. Which brings us to our second and final point, for this morning. And that is that those who submit to the Savior are faithful. Those who submit to the Savior are faithful. And again, here, Paul gives us a description in verses 20 through 21 of the faithful follower of God within the church. And he says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. And just as in the previous section where we see four descriptors of the enemy of the cross, the fraud, here we again see four descriptors of the faithful follower of God, those who stand firm. And again, we start with who they worship. For the faithful, for the one that submits to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ is who they worship. We submit our happiness. We submit our entire lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. We die to ourselves, our passions, our desires, our personal pursuits, our search for glory. And we die to ourselves so that we can worship God and make sure that he gets glory. 
the appetites of the stomach that want to, to rule us and to wield power over us and direct our lives. We want them to be transformed into the desires that God's word reveals for us to have so that it becomes true of us what Jesus said in his opening words on his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five, verse six, when he said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be filled. Thirst and hunger for righteousness, they will be filled. These faithful followers, the ones who submit to the Savior, no longer hungering and thirsting as the stomach does and bowing to its demands, but instead hungering and thirsting for what God's word reveals to us. The temporary pleasures of food, sex, money, glory, position, they're never as satisfying as they look. And the call is to submit to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not living with your stomach as your God, but have your appetites transformed so that you can live with the Savior, the Lord, as your God. So who they worship is different, but what they glory in is different as well. For the fraud, it's the shameful activities that they find their glory in. For the faithful follower of God, we look forward to a transformed body of glory. While the enemy of the cross finds glory in what God calls shameful actions, the adopted son or daughter of God does not find glory in sin, but instead we look forward to a different kind of glory. One that begins now, but is fulfilled in the future. And I like the way different translations put it. In the CSB that we're reading, it says our humble bodies into the likeness of his glorious body. In the ESV, it says our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And in the NLT, it says our weak mortal bodies changed into a glorious body like his. Whatever way you wanna slice it up, whatever way you wanna dice it up, we look forward to receiving glory alongside God. And even better than that, our actual bodies will be transformed into glorious bodies. This isn't the first time that Paul has, has laid this before believers as an encouragement and a hope to look forward to. He does it more detailed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 37, he says, and as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of, of wheat or another grain. What's he saying? He's saying that what we do now, as we cultivate a, a life and we're sanctified and we're transformed from one degree of glory to the next, that is just a seed. What we're doing now is, is, is cultivating a seed that one day will grow and blossom into something even more glorious. And he says kind of how God does it in the next verses. He says, sown in corruption, this seed that you are right now, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption, sown in dishonor, raised in glory, sown in weakness, raised in power, sown a natural body and raised a spiritual body. Like what? And just as we have been born, or just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, which is Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, who is Jesus. Right now, we have these weak, dishonorable, natural bodies that rise up against God. The appetites and the desires of our flesh rise up and sometimes we submit to them and sometimes we go even so far as to glory in that and be proud of it. 
But just as God has the power to subject everything to himself, he will also raise his faithful followers up in glory and power and with a spiritual body. And this we look forward to. And thirdly, we see that those who submit to the Savior are not focused on earthly things, but they are focused on heaven. While the fraud has his mind set on the things of the earth, the faithful have their mind set on heavenly things. In fact, they have their mind set on one specific thing, and that is the second coming of Jesus. This isn't some laid back, feet up, lazy boy recliner, well, he'll come and then I'll just be here kind of kind of waiting. Now, this is an eager expectation. This is a, the, the Greek word says eagerly expecting. It's a tense, like your body just can't wait. It's full of excitement. Like when I was a child going to Bush Gardens the next day and I just couldn't sleep, eyes wide awake, just waiting for it to happen, not even believing. Sometimes I would, I would think, oh man, I wonder if Jesus comes back before. I can't even imagine the kind of fun I'm gonna have at Bush Gardens because I've never been. I was like, I can't even imagine. This is gonna be amazing. That's the energy that's the vibe, that's the, that's the way that we should feel about Christ's second coming. We should have this pent up excitement where we just can't wait for it to happen. In our hearts, we should long for the true doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. That's the kind of pent up expectation we should have. And as we wait, we live differently. We live as people who store up treasures in heaven and not on earth. Live as the people of Colossae did when Paul wrote in Colossians to set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We don't live our lives enamored with the latest and the greatest the world has to offer. We don't live our lives focused on those tricky social media algorithms that get me to spend money late at night when I'm on Instagram buying protein cereal and stuff. I've got six boxes and it doesn't taste good. They got me. They got me. We shouldn't be doing that because we shouldn't be able to. We should have one eye in the sky awaiting Christ's return. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this one. That's how the faithful live. The person who submits to the Savior, not focused on earth, but focused on on the second coming of Jesus. And lastly, instead of our end being destruction, we actually have our end in heaven. We are citizens of heaven. All the other points that we've, we've looked at are kind of, kind of in, the, in the future. We await the savior who will be coming in the future. We await these glorious bodies that will be coming in the future, but our citizenship is right now. We don't have to wait for the future to receive our citizenship in heaven. We already have it. And citizenship for the Philippians was a huge deal. Philippi was a Roman colony and considered to be a, a little Rome, right? a Roman outpost all the way, almost 5,000 miles away from Rome in Macedonia. 
And there were many benefits. It was highly prized to be a citizen of Rome. And Paul was calling God's people to recognize your citizenship in heaven is so much more glorious than how you feel about your citizenship in Rome. For you and I, for those who submit to the Savior, we live on earth. We're here, but we are citizens of heaven. We live on earth, but we are a colony of the kingdom of God. For now, we live in a fallen world, but when it falls away in destruction, we don't go with it. We remain as citizens of the kingdom of God, and we will experience all of its pleasures and perks and privileges. See, when I was little, uh, I used to love spy gear. Like that was, that was my thing. I used to uh, ask every Christmas, every birthday for this stuff called spy gear. And it is what it says. It's gear for spies. And so my cousin and I always used to ask for it. We, we wrote letters to one another in like secret languages, actually hieroglyphics. Um, we, we used to go around during family reunions and Thanksgivings and Christmases, and we would be sneaking around corners and, and going around couches and nobody could see us. We were, we were really good spies. And as I got older, I started to love the Spy Kids movies. I was like, yes, that's gonna be me. I could totally do that. I have all the gear already. I could totally be a spy. And as I got older, I graduated and I started loving James Bond and, and those kind of movies. I love the idea uh, of going undercover. Even right now, I'm finishing up a book on the Cold War and the spy activity that went, uh, went in those years. But as much as I enjoy it in books, as much as I enjoy it in, in movies and on the screen, it is terrible as an identity. It's terrible as an identity. Many of you don't know my, my story. You don't know uh, my testimony, but that is me for most of my life, or it was me for most of my life. I grew up in the church. I thought I was safe. I did tons of Christian things, but my end was destruction. Until one day I was reading in college, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27, and God's word rocked my world. And I came to the kind of submission that God wanted from me. We should not be these incognito Christian lookalikes, frauds that are actually enemies of the cross, worshiping the appetites and the desires of our stomachs. We should be those who submit to the Savior and our faithful representations of Jesus in the world. Now, how do we accomplish this? How do we make sure that as Paul describes these two people who all profess to be believers, that we are not enemies of the cross of Christ, but that we are faithful followers who submit to the Savior. Oh, he gives us direction in the first and last verses that we read this morning. Verses 17 and one of chapter four, he says, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example that you have in us. And so then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, my joy and crown in this manner, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul says to imitate him as he stands firm in the Lord in a particular manner. What is this manner? What's the manner that we should strive to submit to the Lord? 
We actually find it in the previous paragraph, verses 13 and 14 of Philippians 3. This is the manner. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to shape in all of us this morning. These three takeaways. The first one is forget the past. Forget the past. Paul says that he forgets what was behind him. Obviously, Paul did not forget his entire past, but he did forget two areas. By this, Paul wants us to forget our failures and realize that how we failed in the past doesn't limit what God wants to do with us in the present and forget our successes that tempt us to be prideful and removes the humility from our heart. It is a tactic of the enemy to want us to sit, to want you to sit in your past sins. Friends, we have to realize and believe what Jesus said in his word and what we sang about just moments ago, that no matter what we are carrying, past sins, griefs, pains, trials, troubles, weaknesses, sorrows, people despising us, we can take all of that to Jesus and we will find solace there in his arms. Don't let Satan bring accusations against you that Jesus has already nailed to the cross. And at the same time, it's a tactic of the enemy to want you to glory in your past accomplishments. God's word calls you to consider that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no shifting shadow due to change. Everything that we have, has it not been granted and given to us? It is only because God willed for us to have it. We cannot let our faithfulness and successes in the past cause us to be lazy and stop being faithful in the present. Which leads to the second takeaway. First, we forget the past. Paul says he forgets what lies before him and then he presses forward. He strains ahead to what is next. We forget the past and we press forward. This is the manner in which we stand firm in the Lord. What are you hungering for? What are you thirsting for? Is it the righteousness of God? Is it what Mary Alice said this morning in her testimony? Are you seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and then the rest comes? Or are you seeking first your own appetites and your desires? It's like when something is on the top shelf and you're just straining to get it. You're trying to get it. You're doing everything and you can. Maybe you even have to climb on top of the counter. Whatever it takes. This is the picture. As you run your race, straining forward, fix your priorities and press forward. Forget the past, press forward, and then find the prize. If we do these things, When the time comes and when we reach the end, we will find the prize. We will spend eternity in fellowship with the God who created us and loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. Next week, we're gonna take a look in our Revelation series about it. And it will be a glorious day when we've run the race and we receive the prize. God says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no no heart can understand what he has prepared for those who love him, for the one who submits to the Savior and is a faithful follower. So what's the point of this message? Is it to weed out the imposters in here and point them out so we can be self-righteous and feel better about ourselves? No. 
The point is the same reason that we do everything here at Scotts Hill. It is for transformation to take place. It is so we can join God in his work of transforming lives. It is so that the veil can be removed, so that scales can fall from eyes that are blind and we can see the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross years ago, shedding his innocent blood so that you can be counted innocent even though you are rightly guilty. And it's so that those who are faithful can become more faithful, be encouraged and comforted so that those in the church who have lived and walked through life thinking they are safe from destruction, but have actually been enemies of the cross of Christ can turn and become faithful. Let Jesus be your God and not the appetites of your stomach. My call, my challenge to you this morning and for the rest of your life is to submit to Jesus, the savior and not your stomach. If you were encouraged by this message and you now have a desire to follow Christ or you just want to learn more about our church, I encourage you to go to scottshill.org slash next steps so that we can follow up with you. Also, if you were blessed by this message, I encourage you to share it with your friends and family on social media. God bless.